Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The worst time of my life at least up until that point, was around 2015 when I was in the middle of making my feature documentary Raise Up, The World Is Our Gym, and I was out of money and super in debt and just in an emotional pit trying to find my way forward while creating the biggest artistic project of my life. And so suffice it to say, it was a struggle. Now, when I came out of that struggle, there was a happy ending to that struggle, by the way. We sold the book to Red Bull TV. But when I came out of it, I was still very lost. I had just trudged through through this wilderness, and I came out of it on the other side, but I didn't know where to go then. I was just looking at this big open field of possibility and had no plan. So at that time... My plan was to ingest as much information, to learn as much as I possibly could. That included trying to read a book a week. That included downloading and listening to all these podcasts, reading blogs and articles, etc., etc., just trying to consume so much and learn from people in such a way that it gave me a path and a plan to move forward. And so I spent every day writing down the notes and the gems and the lessons learned from all these podcasts and interviews and and articles and books that I was reading. And then at the end of the week, I would go through all the, the, the things that I had learned and review them. And slowly but surely, it started to help me form my perspective and my view on life and my goals and the things I wanted to achieve and the people who I wanted to serve. And it started to change my life. And it started to give me this passion and this plan to move forward, a path that I could follow. And it did ultimately change my life. Guess what, though? I am not alone. You might have experienced this. You might need to experience this. And also my guest on the show today undoubtedly experienced this. But not only did books change his life, it actually became his business. 
What's up, storytellers? Welcome back to the Storytelling Lab. My name is Rain Bennett. I am your host, and this is episode 131. And today, my guest is Nick Hutchison. Nick is one of the founders of Book Thinkers and the Life Changing Books podcast. Now, I first found Nick because he had on his show some of the same people I've had on my show, namely, uh, at that time, it was Stephen Pressfield. And I started seeing the content. Uh, from the book reviews that they do and explaining uh, all the uh, the takeaways, the key takeaways from all these books that I love to read as well about personal development and finance and, and, and being happy and grateful. And I started noticing there was a lot of parallels into the themes and the concepts and the perspectives that, that Nick holds and that he and I actually shares. And so after I had seen uh, the Stephen Pressfield podcast, which it was around the same time I had released mine, which uh, I think was episode 124. If you haven't heard it yet, it is an amazing episode. And he's a hero of mine and a hero of Nick's as well. And so I reached out and established a connection with him and then started really diving deep into their platform at Book Thinkers, and what they do is they help authors market their books, basically, and they do that through their podcast and through their social media accounts. And I was so interested, and I reached out to Nick because Nick first was like, "Hey, a lot of our authors, uh, you know, are probably great fits to be on your show." And I was like, "Cool, that'd be great." But honestly, I was really interested in having you on the show because I'm so interested in the story of the person whose business is sharing other people's stories. And so he was like, sure. Uh, I'm not sure how how often he is a guest on people's show, but he is an entrepreneur and a business owner and a podcaster and a social media marketer and all the things that we talk about here on the show. So I was like, no, man, you're perfect. Let's get you on the show. And I'm so glad I did. We had an incredible conversation about personal development and personal finance and how to be grateful and understand that you only have one life to live. We both are big fans of the stoic concept of memento mori. Remember that you will die. And we take it there. We go there and and talk quite a bit about what that concept really means. And it was an incredible conversation, but I think it will be so beneficial in you understanding that power that books can have. And it's such a low cost investment. You definitely need to leverage it. So here's my conversation with Nick Hutchison, and I hope that you love it. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, award-winning filmmaker and writer, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. My name is Rain Bennett. I am your host, and my job is to help you deepen your connections, increase your sales, and serve your audiences better. Every Tuesday morning, I send out a quick storytelling tip to my newsletter subscribers. I show you techniques I've learned along my journey and used in my own stories, as well as those of my clients. But most importantly, I leave you with tangible takeaways that you can apply to your brand storytelling immediately. Oh, well, actually, more importantly than that, it's free. If this would help you, sign up for the newsletter at rainbennett.com slash weekly storytelling tips. Nick. 
Nick, my friend. I'm going to choose Nick. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to the show, man. Uh, I'm happy to chop it up with you today. I appreciate you being here. How's, uh, how's your Monday going so far? It is a beautiful day and life is amazing. I've had two workouts already. Two? I've had quite a bit of caffeine and I'm ready to go. Uh, two workouts. That's impressive. I, I was able to squeeze in one today. Um, what'd you, what'd you do today in terms of working? Well, I'm about 55 days into 75 hard and 75 uh -huh. hard is a program that requires two workouts a day. And so the first one was a walk in the woods with my dog. We do that every morning to kind of kick things Crucial. off. It's about an hour long. And then the second was chest day. So it was chest. It was kind of a push day at the gym today. So chest and tries and crushed a little bit of bench. So <laughs> what's your, uh, were you an athlete growing up? I was, I played football in high school and I was also captain of our wrestling team. So those oh, are my two man. sports. And oh, I, yeah. I wanted to play sports in college, but I wasn't quite good enough. I didn't have the mental toughness and I was kind of scared of contact. <laughs> so, uh, I knew that, that could do yeah, that I wanted, I wanted to make it, but really didn't. And so I, today I hit the gym and I play basketball. That's about it. Yeah. But it's still like, I've, I'm, I'm kind of similar. Like I, I didn't play college. I, my, I played everything as a child and then soccer was what I ended up playing and, uh, in, um, mostly in, in high school. And I still play, uh, in a, in a men's league. And I probably could have played, uh, I didn't play in college. I probably could have played in a, like a smaller private school. A lot of my teammates now were, uh, were in an over 30 league, um, were D one athletes. So I could, you know, I can keep up with it, but, uh, but yeah, I didn't go that path either. But what I find is, and you tell me if it's similar with you, that that mentality doesn't really leave, right? Just the way you approach things, whether it's working out the way you approach life, uh, do you find that similar in your journey? Yeah, 1000%. I think our brains are pretty malleable when we're younger. And so to instill some type of discipline, teamwork, effort, uh, consistency, progression, all of those things are very important. And so, you know, I wish, uh, yeah, I grew quite a bit after high school in terms of weight and also mental toughness. I wish I had those things when I was a little bit younger. Cause just like you, I feel like I, I can, keep up with d1 athletes nowadays but anyway yeah i love it man it, it total correlations between sports and lifelong learning so if you didn't go that path uh what what uh what did you do after high school what was your plan well i knew i wanted to go to business school because my dad was an independent sales rep for a, a footwear and apparel company and then my mom was in retail management and i mm -hmm. saw both of them have quite a bit of success without college degrees and i thought okay well i can go to college learn these skill sets a little bit deeper and then go apply them to the business world so i didn't really know what i wanted to do but i knew mm -hmm. i wanted to be in the world of business and so i went to the university of new hampshire mostly because it was driving distance from where I grew up in Boston. It was about two hours away and a number of my friends were going there. And so mm -hmm. that's what I decided to do. So uh, just to catch everybody up to speed, uh, and I always like asking the, this, this question. It's interesting to me how people answer. But what exactly do you do currently? Sure. So I own a company called Book Thinkers that I started back in 2017. And today it's sort of like a digital marketing agency for nonfiction authors. So we help authors promote and market their books. We do a lot of stuff behind the scenes like 
short form video production, podcast booking, uh, book reviews, things like that. Oh, that's very yeah. cool. That's very cool. So you didn't know what type of business you wanted to go into. I know the back end now of what you do. And I know at some point this journey into personal development uh, came into your life. I have, I have a similar, you know, spot in my story where, where that happened. Um, did you hit a wall that made you start kind of like really diving into different life lessons from nonfiction authors? I did. So I'll give you the kind of three or four minute version of it uh, to catch everybody up. So I went into my freshman year knowing that I needed to get some type of internship uh, to mm -hmm. accelerate the things that I was learning in, in class. That's what all the professors told us on day one. And so one day I was walking through sort of a general hall on the university campus and I saw a flyer that said, run your own house painting business. And so I applied for that position. I joined a group of kids at our college that were doing the same thing. And that first summer between my freshman and sophomore year, I actually ran my own house painting business. So I had to go door to door, generate a bunch of business in my hometown, hire a bunch of my friends. They all went through this painting certification thing. I had to close deals. I had to manage the projects and everything in between, do payroll, profitability, stuff like that. I actually did that for two summers but I was one of the lowest performing students that was participating in this program in terms of revenue. And so uh, from there, I decided I needed to try something else. And so between my junior and senior year at college, I took an internship with a local software company in a sales role because out of everything that I had to do to run that house painting business, I actually enjoyed selling the most. Mm -hmm. And so early into that next internship at the software company, my sales mentor at the time introduced me to the world of podcasting because I had about an hour commute to and from that office every day that summer. And I had nothing to do in the car. I wasn't into books yet. And so I started listening to podcasts mm -hmm. and I realized that all of the guests that were being interviewed on these podcasts were talking about books, the books that changed their lives. And so that was kind of the first moment that I was introduced to these books. And I thought, wow, I want to be like all of these people and they're all reading and I'm not reading. So I can clearly see the, the gap between what I'm doing and what they're doing. And that's why I decided to start reading books. Do you, do you remember the first or near the first one in this space, oh, yeah. right? That, okay, go ahead then. You know, where I'm going. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Well, that's the thing is I didn't read growing up. I was right. As we've, as we've been kind of talking about, I was more of the jock stereotype in high totally. school, not the academic. And so I wasn't a reader growing up. The first book that I, that I decided to read out of the handful that I purchased the first time was Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Mm -hmm. And that book was perfect for me at the time. I learned so much about financial literacy and how money works. And I just had aha moment after aha moment. And so I remember just sitting there like, wow. I had no idea that this kind of information was available for 20 bucks in a few hours of my time. Yeah, that's the thing, too. It's like the, the lowest like investment that you can make. And, you know, I get I get hell from my wife sometimes because I just have a book buying problem. I've, I've learned recently, yeah. not recently, but I've learned that many people have that problem. And so there's stacks of books that I haven't gotten to yet. But it's like it's so small, 10, 20 bucks that like, even if you don't get to it this year, like it's, it's okay. It's not that, it's not that big of a deal for what you could learn from it. And I think sometimes we, 
like if you get one piece of wisdom from it that you can apply, it was well worth it. Right. And that's the thing, like the, 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 um, uh, the bar is set pretty low for, for what you can get back from that. Uh, the first one for me, well, I mean, I am kind of, I've always been like an athlete and an artist. And so I did read, I read the required stuff in high school. I wasn't, I wouldn't consider myself a reader. There was a couple of like fiction stories that I would read outside of that. I always wanted to be a writer, even since I was young. So I know that doesn't really go hand in hand, but I was an athlete. Um, and, you know, I always kind of romanticized it. And then once I started getting to, into this space, which was a little bit late in my life, I would consider, um, it was probably four hour work week was the first one in that journey that I remember of like of self-development, you know, personal developments, uh, self-help as they, as they call it, which I don't really love that term. Um, but yeah, that one was one I remember when it came out in 2009, one of my friends were like, Oh dude, you got to read this book. And I started really like picturing the world differently, you know, from the influence of someone else's words. Uh, so that one still sticks out in, in my mind. Um, such an amazing book, by the way. That book has probably had the biggest impact on my life out of anything I've ever read. So then you get it. Then you I'm get a it. Big fan. Yeah. And it it, it kind of changed culture a lot. Like, I mean, nobody was talking about that stuff then, and people thought it was, it was crazy, right? And ridiculous. Even Gary V like used to have friction with him, uh, just because his his whole you know. Uh, um, concept of just hustling, right? So he was just like four hour work week, like get the hell out of here, right? He, he's wanting to work a hundred hours. Uh, and they, they had worked through that, but like nobody was talking about that sort of stuff about, ha you know, biohacking, brain hacking, being efficient. And now you can still see that we are, you know, the remnants of, of the influence that they have. Um, so I had a similar space in my journey in my story where I just dove into podcast Tim's being one of those. Cause I had read his books. Um, at what point did you feel the inspiration or the calling, if you will, uh, to start your own? I know a lot of the listeners to the show are public speakers or they want to become public speakers, but the problem that many experienced and aspiring professional speakers face is that they simply don't have the time to grow their business the way they would like. And look, I get it. I've been there. Maybe you're there right now. That's why I started using the team at Virtual Campfires to provide me with leads to events and conferences that are a good fit for my message. So they send me all the relevant details I need to immediately reach out and start a conversation with those decision makers. And they've worked with hundreds of speakers to provide tens of thousands of event leads, and it's easy to see why. Outsourcing this time-consuming step has saved me hours and hours of scanning Google and lets me go faster towards my goal of more events, more audiences, and more impact. All you need to do is email leads at virtualcampfires.com to see how their lead subscription business can help you the same way it's helped me. Again, that's leads at virtualcampfires.com. Let them help you tell more great stories and get paid for it. Bookthinkers has had started to grow on social media and I was reviewing a lot of books. I had a lot of author mentors start to follow the account. Mm -hmm. And there was a there was an Instagram live that I was doing with an author friend of mine, Evan Carmichael, and he was saying, Nick, you've got to get outside of your comfort zone. You you're stagnating. You need to grow and mm -hmm. He was asking me what would make you uncomfortable and he came up with the idea what if you started to interview some of your author heroes 
have long form conversations with them. They're already following your account. Mm-hmm. I'll be episode number one. That's what Evan told me. And I thought, yeah, you know, if I was interviewing Grant Cardone and Robert Greene and Ryan Holiday, I'm sure that would kind of kick up the butterflies in my stomach, right? Like I'd feel yeah. a little nervous. I'd get a little uncomfortable. That would be different. And so I started the podcast really because of Evan. And yeah, just like you've mentioned, it's led to some really interesting conversations, but it was an attempt. I didn't really think about it as a branding thing at the time. I just thought about it as an opportunity to become uncomfortable and just grow as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Evan's awesome. He's been on the show. Uh, the biggest takeaway, the biggest quote that I still use from him on, on when he was on the storytelling lab was, you know, cause I'm always in the show and in my own journey, I'm always kind of wrestling between the heart and the head and like, where's the balance, right? That's what the show does, the art and science of storytelling. And so I just asked him that, like, which one do we follow? And he's just simply said, uh, big decisions with the heart, small decisions with the head. And I was just like, that's just perfect. Like if you want, you know, like this, like follow your heart to create the podcast, but then you have all these tiny little decisions that you have to execute and make with your, with, with your mind. So I just thought that was uh, really simple, but profound. Yeah. Evan has influenced book thinkers, my brand, my podcast, my business, my own head, my heart in so many different <laughs> ways. Evan's been amazing. I'll tell you guys, I'll tell your audience a quick, funny story and tell you a funny story. So early in my journey, I received a, a, a DM from a verified account, Evan Carmichael, didn't even follow him. And I might've had 8,000, 10,000 followers at the time, maybe even less. And it was a video. And so I open up the video and it's a selfie of Evan. And he says, hey, book thinkers, my name's Evan Carmichael. I'm the author of a couple of books. I just put out a new one. I'd love to send you a copy. Drop me your address below. Love your content. And I thought, wow, what an amazing first message. It was custom. It was to me. He was verified. He had a big audience. I saw he had millions of subs on YouTube. Yep. And so, of course, I responded and, and we've built this amazing friendship since then. And uh, but I just thought, what a cool, what a cool guy, what a cool person to be able to reach out like that. And come to find out that's part of a strategy that he uses to grow his audience totally. and engage with people. But yeah, when it when we connected, it was like, hey, I'm I'm looking to be like I'm just I'm willing to be on it on your podcast. I've got some extra time this month, and so I was like, Psh, hit him up, and he was like, boom, and within the next week we were recording. So same 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 thing that and that inspires me a lot to just reach out and make those connections. Yeah, like they're available, you know, they're yeah, available. So so book thinkers as a brand to help promote authors already existed before the show. It did. It did. And so I was running that house painting business. Uh, I got introduced to a couple of other people who were very motivated at the time. And I started to meet with them a little bit, talking about starting other businesses outside of the house painting business. Mm-hmm. Kind of fast forward. I'm in this internship. I'm reading these books. And I connect with one of my friends, Alec. And we start reading Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Mm -hmm. and so that was probably one of the first 10 books that I read and we would meet up on weekends during my senior year in some college whiteboard room like study rooms and we would just sketch out business ideas and I was reading so many of these books at the time 10 15 20 that was a lot for me (laughs) and uh, I was telling all my friends about it and we just thought let's start a business together talking about personal development books. We didn't know what it would look like. 
yet, uh, but we wanted to start a mobile application sort of that would help people retain and implement more from the books they were reading. Now that never came to fruition, but we did start to build this Instagram presence in anticipation of an app launch. Mm. So the app never took off, but the Instagram did. And then, you know, a lot of things transpired after that. The forms of monetization that exist today in terms of the services that we offer came after the Instagram and, and sort of at the same time as the podcast. Yeah. But yeah, the Instagram presence really came first. And were you just sharing like little takeaways from each of these books? Yeah, I was reading books and I was just documenting my favorite takeaways from them. And it started as pictures. So it would just be one single picture of the book. And then in the caption, I would list my favorite takeaways from the book. And as Instagram and these platforms have evolved and started to prior prioritize video content, I started to do video content as well. And that was very uncomfortable for me <laughs> at first. But here we are today, March 6th, 2023. I've done thousands of short form videos for social. So through repetition, you get a little bit better and more comfortable. What was the approach to video? Was it just you basically saying the takeaways that you had or like what was the the stand, the style? It was. And okay. I think the very first style was for YouTube. And I mm -hmm. would do my my top five takeaways right. from a book. Because back then, long-form content performed well on all socials. I think Instagram's cap was 10 minutes. So I always tried to record videos that were 8 to 10 minutes long. Yeah, and I would do five takeaways from a book, and I would explain each takeaway for a minute or two. Mm -hmm. And then as the socials have evolved since 2018 or 19, when I really started doing video content, it just gets shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. And so I always joke, like maybe in two years, I'll be doing five second book reviews or something. Yeah, I think it's actually, it's some, of, some of them are, it's starting to kind of shift back now. I know TikTok is really pushing that where it's just like, yeah. all right, we've, we've hooked everybody in the short form, but like, how do we keep them here longer? Uh, but it's interesting. I mean, you have to be able to be able to, to adapt and adjust along with that, uh, those trends and those demands and still be able to get across the valuable information that people are seeking. Um, for me, I totally get, you know, why those little nuggets, those little takeaways, uh, people are interested in that, right? Oh, I don't have to read the whole book. I just got like the three main principles right there. I can take that and maybe apply that. Or, or if I was on the fence about the book and I've gotten some wisdom out of those takeaways, you know, now I might be more inclined to purchase it. Um, what tips, stories, content, etc. have you noticed resonate the most with people from the books uh, or now from your guest on the show? Yeah, that's a great question. The one that came to mind first is personal finance. I think everybody on this planet, most people at least, struggle with personal finance. Yeah. They struggle with spending, with budgeting, impulse purchases, spontaneity um, and they're spending money on things that aren't fulfilling they're not prioritizing lived experience and social media has a funny way of showing highlight reels as well and so it Big just time. amplifies everybody's own personal finance issues so i think personal finance and investing conversations about money those always seem to do very very well and then the subject of happiness does really well as well uh, everybody wants to be happier, more fulfilled. They want to focus more on purpose. They want to give more. 
And so those subjects do well. And then the tips around them like meditation, mindfulness, journaling, gratitude, those sorts of subjects. Yeah. And I even think I'm, I would probably argue that that quest for happiness uh, and purpose is even becoming a higher priority now for folks. I've, I feel like the pandemic kind of shifted things a little bit um, where it's not so much about uh, people still want to find their dream job, but people are willing to maybe not make as much money to find that happiness or that purpose or go out on their own. If it's like, look, it's going to be hard for me anyway. And a global pandemic can take away this secure corporate job. I might as well like chase my dream, chase my purpose. So I've seen, I feel like I've seen a lot more uh, interest and in, in, in content, you know, targeting that sort of need that is still a primal need. It's still something that, that people need, but for a long time, it was all about go find the secure job, you know, and then, then, then you can find your happiness. And now people are like switching, switching the priority. I think. I think so too. Yeah. It reminds me of the four hour work week. I actually have a tattoo on my wrist here that says reality is negotiable. Hmm. And that's a quote from the four hour work week that I read very early in my reading journey. I was working at that same software company that I had the internship with where I discovered podcasting and ultimately books as a college graduate. And I was working in a cubicle, a normal nine to five, and I leveraged the four hour work week to take that same position and make it remote and then ultimately develop book thinkers from a side hustle into a full-time hustle. All the while reminding myself that, yeah, you can create a, a life that's uniquely fulfilling to you, that makes you happy as an individual who cares about society's expectations, what, what gets you out of bed in the morning. And, that, and so that tattoo is something that I've seen tens of thousands of times, and it just reinforces that idea for me that it is possible. Everybody on this planet can find their own space and contribute enough value to get compensated for it as well. Yep. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, um, there's a, do you know, Ramit Sethi from, um, I will teach you to be rich. Yeah. You're not in your head. So, um, yeah, I love, I mean, and several other people that I've talked to say similar concepts, but I love his idea of like finding your rich life, right? Same thing with the four hour work week. It's like so many of us go through life and don't even ask ourselves a question. It's like, well, but what do I want? Don't let society like influence my desires and dreams and goals. Is that really what I want? Do I want to, to, is my rich life traveling around the States in an RV? And if so, what's the quickest way for me to get there? And for some people, obviously it's not, but I think so many people don't even go through that like list of internal questions to know what their rich life in his words would, would look like. And I think Tim and a lot of other people have helped us kind of get to that point. Yeah, I think so too. That's an amazing book on that subject of personal finance and, you're right. That book does have a, a purpose fulfillment kind yeah. of vein to it as well. I, my favorite takeaway from that book is, well, actually I've got a few, but my favorite takeaway is probably to cut ruthlessly on things that don't matter to you, but spend vigorously on the things that do. And so it's so good because yeah. he's the one who finally like challenged the whole, like stop spending $4, $5 on lattes a day, like the Dave Ramsey approach or whoever like started that, which is like, I get it. Like don't spend frivolously, but he's like, but if you love lattes, like it's about joy in life, 
cut out on the impulse buys at the target checkout line so that you can get your latte. And he even made fun of himself. He's like, look, I love sweaters. I'm going to get like nice sweaters. I like the way I look at them. I like them. Some people that would be ridiculous to spend a few hundred dollars on a sweater, but that's where I want to spend it. And I don't spend it somewhere else. I totally agree with that point. Yeah. I heard somebody told me recently that they defined money as stored energy and the coffee example is a great one because if that $4 latte will bring you a bunch of energy and it doesn't impact your bank account very much and you're cutting ruthlessly on things that don't matter to you to be able to afford it, then what's the point of keeping the money in your bank account and not consuming the latte? It's stored energy. You don't get the energy until you spend the money. And so I'm all about that lifestyle. That's a good point. Um yeah, it's uh, this. This may be a stretch, but I want to. I want to go there anyway. It's like, um, if you're, uh, I forget who told me this initially, but if you're walking through the, you know, through the desert, you're parched, you, you, you're, you're dying of thirst, and people will be inclined to like hold on to that water in their canteen. And somebody had explained it to me on a film set. That's my background. They're like that. It's more valuable in your body <laughs> than it is sitting in that canteen and then i think years later i heard it, i heard that kind of echoed that like so many people die with that like remainder of water still in that in that canteen uh and to your point kind of i think i think it there's some alignment there where it's like this you're going to be able to use it this way saving or just leaving it in the bank account uh doesn't do anything with that energy I don't, wow. know that, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's just what popped in my head when you said that. It's just like, how can you use that money uh, to kind of fuel you versus, uh, you know, just just kind of leaving it there? That book. It, oh, go ahead, brother. I, I was going to say it reminds me of one of my favorite books, Die With Zero by Bill Perkins. Mm. Uh, it's all about prioritizing lived experience and spending your money. The mm -hmm. amount of people that die with money in their bank account is ridiculous. You can't use it once you're gone. And so use it while you're here. And we delay spending our money until we're at an age where we can't physically use it or enjoy it in the same way that we could today. It's wild. Every day that you wait, you're, you're less likely to use it. And when you use it, it will be less fulfilling. So spend it. I love that. Spend it. Totally. Let's let's stay here, sort of, but shift it to the pursuit of our dreams and goals. Right um, now, I know you're a fellow like you share uh, the the love of Memento Mori uh, with me. Um, and since we're kind of talking about this in a financial perspective of of you can't take it with you. Let's talk a little bit about how concepts like that can help you in the pursuit of what you're trying to build. Right. How does the fact that you're going to die. <laughs> it could be today. Uh, how does that impact you, impact you and influence and inspire you when you're trying to go after something that seems big? It seems like, you know, it's hard to achieve. How does that influence your day to day? Sure. Well, there are so many building blocks that have helped me establish the mindset that I have. So it may seem a little bit radical to your listeners today. <laughs> Um, but I have that tattoo of Memento Mori tattooed on my chest. It means remember your own mortality. And when I see that tattoo in the mirror every single day, I think life is finite. It's not infinite. I can't wait till tomorrow. I should prioritize today. And what does that look like? I mean, I still get caught watching a lot of Netflix and scrolling through social media. But I also think that 
I focus on what fulfills me instead of working for society's expectations. You know, I'm building this business. I'm taking constant risks. I'm living my life. For me, that means taking that extra trip. Um, I've worked from over 20 different countries over the last few years, sometimes for up to three months at a time, because that makes me happy. Yeah. I want to live my life now. I don't want to say, oh, I'm going to do that when I retire. Or I'm going to do yeah. that in 20 years. That's one representation of it. Seneca has a quote that's related on the shortness of life, um, which is a series of essays that he has. And he says, like, it's not that life is too short, but we make it short. We make mm -hmm. it short by pushing off until tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Life can be as long as you want it to be. You can pack experiences into today. And that's what that constant reminder of death does for me. Uh, in the West, specifically the United States, and most of the world nowadays, we push that concept of death off to hospitals and elderly homes. We don't want to see it. We don't want to think about it. We pretend that it's not happening. But every single minute on planet Earth, what is that the math? Every single minute, 120 people die. Every single minute. So by the end of this rambling monologue that I'm having right now, a couple, <laughs> I don't know, a couple hundred people are dead. And that's it's the Jewish. reality. It happens. It, yeah, it's tough. It, yeah. it seems a little bit extreme, but it helps me a lot to think about it like that. It does me too, man. And uh, I've, you know, I've I unfortunately had some significant loss in my life and that's, that will change your perspective on it too. I also have two kids now that changes your perspective on it, on it too. Um, and then now you're kind of starting to slip into that space of gratitude of understanding that like, look, this is so cheesy. It's so cliche, but like this day is a gift. Right. And am I going to piss it away or am I going to do something that's like, I'm going to be happy and proud of, when I'm, when you're on that deathbed, right. When you're on that proverbial deathbed. Yeah. What you just said reminded me like the, the having loss and having children. Um, Jesse Itzler posted a video a while ago where he said, he said, Hey, my dad is X number of years old. Yeah, dude. I only see him two times a year. That doesn't mean I have three more years left with him. It means I have six more experiences with him. If I see him. Yeah. Now his dad ended up passing away, but that that concept like with your kids or with your loved ones or with the people around you prioritizing death as a focus in your life reminds you to spend more time with the people that you love mm -hmm. so that's another it's it sounds a little funny it's a strange way to get there but yeah you're right it it pushes so you real. in that world of gratitude it's so real and and also the people that you love and doing the things that you love right that that's that's the kind of thing that helps you make the decision of like you know what I was wanting to chase this dream, follow my heart. Um, and now, you know, that's the type of thought process that makes you really bold enough, courageous enough to do that. When you realize it's like, what, what am I doing here? It's tough because you're right. We don't go through it. We don't think about it until later in life. But the sooner you can kind of view the world through that lens, this, it changes your perspective totally. Um how I mentioned this either before we started recording or at the beginning of the conversation, how has your trajectory and we can specifically talk about the business, but also your personal life, they're tied together, right? Um, changed, or you can talk about some of the specific guests or, and their books that have really like, you know, in storytelling, there are these moments, right? Where the story propels forward, right? Uh, 
what are some of those lessons that you've learned through the show or through the work that you do that have propelled your story forward? Sure. Well, the first one that comes to mind uh, was a guest in and of itself. Uh, so I had just started the podcast. I'd had some amazing people on the show already, but I was looking to get to that next tier. And I was, I think, only on episode four or five when I got an email from Grant Cardone's team that he was willing to come on the show. And so to have Grant within my first 10 episodes, yeah. it helped me 10x the way that I was thinking about the podcast. I see what because, you did there. Yeah. Once you, uh, once you get Grant on your show, everybody else will say yes. Why? Yeah. Because he values his time at the highest per hour rate. And if he's willing to give me his time, then why shouldn't you? Yeah. And that was kind of the, that was the moment that helped me think bigger but it was also the moment that helped the podcast mature the most. Mm -hmm. And I've leveraged that experience, just that name on the podcast, not only to get a million other amazing guests, but also to do real business outside of the podcast. Because if Grant is willing to spend a day with me, then you'll start to pay attention too. And so the lesson there, uh, the biggest lesson in that story, I think is borrowing credibility. Mm -hmm. So I, I've heard it said this way that trust is transitive. So yeah. if Grant trusts me and you trust Grant, well, then you'll trust me. That's the transitive property. And so I've leveraged somebody else's credibility to do a lot of business in my life because a lot of people know Grant. He's worked for 40 years to build the reputation that he has and the social following that he has. He spent tens of millions of dollars on it. So you can kind of leapfrog um, by doing business with him or working with him. So that's the first one that comes to mind. What are, for those people, you know, that are either starting a podcast, want to start a podcast or in their early days of their podcast, um, what are some of the things that you've learned? Now you kind of had built up this Instagram following with the brand already. So that probably helped. Um, but in terms of, getting your podcast out there, getting it seen, marketing it for those that are starting out that may not have, you know, big budgets. What are some of the, what's some of the tactical advice that you could share that would help people understanding and just like just marketing their shows? Sure. I, th I think the best way to market your show is to have great guests and for those well guests said. to market on your behalf. And so there are a couple of lessons around that. Number one is, and it's it's kind of like uh, the pretty girl in the bar. That's the best metaphor for it. So the pretty girl in the bar doesn't get approached because everybody thinks that she's going to say no when you approach her, right? Right. And it's kind of like that with some of these podcast guests. They're so famous that you think they're going to say no because they're getting all of these requests. And therefore, at the end of the day, nobody's actually reaching out to them. And so I found that by going for the, the most famous guests and the biggest names that I could, uh, I actually had less competition for their time sometimes, which sounds so counterintuitive. But if you think back to that first metaphor, it starts to make a little bit of sense. And so sometimes uh, these guests will tell me that I'm the only episode they have in a whole week or I'm the only person that asked that month. It sounds so counterintuitive, right. but trust me, that's been happening. And then once they repost the episode or, or a piece of content that we tag them in, it gets shared with their audience and then we can grab a portion of their audience for our podcast. And if they like the content, then 
and they recognize some other names in the show list, then they'll stick around and listen to some other episodes. So that's one thing that comes to mind. Another is, uh, you mentioned Gary V earlier, a strategy that Gary V uses called the dollar 80 strategy. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's great for growing your social media following, but also for growing your podcast viewership. Essentially, let's say you interview Evan Carmichael, go search Evan Carmichael on Instagram, look at the hashtags Mm -hmm. and now go comment on every single post where somebody's referenced Evan Carmichael, whether they're reposting one of his YouTube clips, they're posting about one of his books, whatever the case is, go comment, leave a genuine, leave your genuine two cents on that post and just say, oh yeah, I love that lesson by Evan Carmichael too. We just interviewed him on our show. It was such an amazing experience. He's the best. And that's it. And naturally, some of those people, when they get that comment, will check out your profile. Maybe they'll go right to your podcast and listen to your episode with Evan. It doesn't need to be, hey, follow me. Hey, listen to the episode. But it's just providing a genuine two cents. And, you know, the other, le- and I'll, I'll stop my ramble after this, but the other lesson that sits behind that one is that everybody is insecure about their comment section, mm. whether you're Grant Cardone or, your book thinkers. You want more comments. And so you're going to help people feel good and they're going to reciprocate. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. I think sometimes we're like reticent or reluctant to, to comment, nervous, scared or whatever, but that's, that's it. That's a good point. And I think that's true. Yeah. You know? I, I appreciate every single comment on every single one of our social platforms because it feels good. There's never enough. You're always insecure about the number. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's such a good point to make. I mean, and, and uh, amateurs or people aspiring to be whatever often think that, because I tell people this too, it's like those people that you look up to don't have superpowers, right? They're not magic, right? They, they've been doing it a little bit longer. So they have some systems and strategies and processes that in place, but like they don't have some inherent superpower that you don't have. Right. But we, we often think, think that they do, or we think that like, Oh, they don't, they're not nervous every time they go up on stage or go to the field or whatever. It's like, yeah, yeah, they are. They just been doing it long enough to know how to work through that. But of course they're still artists. They're still creating something and putting it out there to the universe. I E they are still insecure and have, you know, have, have an ego. So you can play to that. It's such a great point. Yeah. Um, so s- similar question. Um, but knowing that you work with a lot of nonfiction authors in terms of marketing. Now we're in this space where, you know, anybody can write a book and I don't mean to say that in in like a crappy way, but like we all have access now. Um, And it's not just that you have to be chosen or picked by, you know, and be traditionally published by the big five or whatever. But you, if you have access to your audience and have something worth saying, you can say it now. So that means there's a lot of people putting their ideas out in the world. From your experience and working with them, what are ways that they can kind of elevate those thoughts, those books that they put out to the world, find their right audience, you know, market their books when you don't have that traditional publishing team and budget behind you? That's a great question. I've, leveraging social media is an amazing way to, to get a book out there. There are a lot of books that have become famous on Book Talk or Bookstagram, and as a result, they've sold a lot of copies. And you can be a self-published author and sell millions of books. It's very unlikely. It's very hard to do. It takes a lot of work, but it can be done, and it's being done by people every single day. And I think that's amazing, and it's optimistic. 
And it just shows that potential. It's like leveraging anticipation is a great tool. It's always hunting for that next sale. So what I'll say sometimes is that there are literally billions of monthly active users on Instagram, on Facebook, on TikTok, etc. Billions, literally billions. So your target reader as an author exists on these platforms. And by leveraging tools like the $1.80 strategy that I just mentioned with the Evan Carmichael example, commenting on all of the posts related to him, you could do that for your book. And mm. if you read a book about personal finance, there are thousands of hashtags related to personal finance that act as search mechanisms for you to bring up posts. And then you can go comment on them. And a certain number of those people will come back, check out your page. As long as you're providing legitimate value, some of those people will follow you. They'll consume your information over time and they'll buy your books. So I think, um, I think writing a, a valuable book packed with great information is very important because that will lead to word of mouth. Every book you sell is really two or three or four or five books over the long run because people will recommend it. Mm -hmm. But it's not best written book. It's best selling book. And you've got to go out there and, and sell your books. It's true. <laughs> and you can sell your books by leveraging strategies like the $1.80 strategy. Is that yours or did you just use somebody else's line? No, I used somebody else's line. I wish I knew that's who good, said though. it originally, but I heard it one time and I thought, oh, it's actually, I think it's an example on the back of Rich Dad, Poor Dad when he's mm. talking to somebody and they said, oh, I, I would never want to learn sales. And he said, well, it's best selling author, not Sheesh. best written author. Yeah. That's really good. And I think that it also, you know, I agree that. There have been some really successful self-published books and maybe, the, and that's probably not the realistic goal for everybody for it to sell a million copies, but it does so much in just getting, getting it going, getting the machine turning, right? This is, I know that you've, uh, you know, we connected over Steven Pressfield and had him on the show not too long ago. And that was one of the things that he talked about is just like putting it out there and then waiting for someone to respond to it is not the way to go. Like just start working on the next one immediately. And I wrote my first uh, book, which was self-published last year. It's right. I'm turning around right there. Six second stories. And just above it, Nick, is the Thai version of it. It is now traditionally published in Thailand. That's amazing. Uh, I mean, and that's something. Was that part of my plan? Hell no. Like I wrote it just to get it out to my audience. I felt confident I could. But the point is, when you take action like that, you never know the doors of opportunity that that will open to you. But they don't happen. They don't open if you just don't if you don't start taking action and, and putting your stuff out there. So it may not sell a million copies, but it also kind of gets that machine turning here in your brain and then actually, you know, uh, executing it. Right. It does. And every book is a business. Right. And there's a there's a metaphor. Well, actually, it's a quote. By Jeff Bezos in the opening of $100 million offers by Alex Hormozzi, where he talks about entrepreneurship. And he says, the difference between a normal nine to five and entrepreneurship is in a normal nine to five, you step up to the plate in a baseball game and you might hit a single, double, triple, home run, maybe a grand slam. And in a best case scenario, your grand slam is unfortunately constrained by your salary. Mm -hmm. If you're a salaried employee, the best you can do is a four run experience. But in entrepreneurship, you can step up to the plate and release a book as an example. And yeah, you might hit a single, double, triple, whatever. 
but the grand slam could be worth a thousand runs or a million runs. Mm -hmm. There are no constraints. And that's, what's so cool about it. Like, that's why I want to be an entrepreneur for the rest of my life is because you're just leveraging anticipation and it keeps you excited. It gets you out of bed. You don't know what's in store for the day. Whereas, unfortunately, if you work in a job that you don't like, you know what's in store and it's not very good. <laughs> right. Uh, by the way, I appreciate you bringing it back to a sports analogy yeah. uh, for us athletes. <laughs> sports is a metaphor for life, man. It is. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I don't want to tangent too much, but like, I, you know, I've, I've got, uh, I've always been an artist and an athlete, as I said earlier. So I've got a lot of nerdy, like artsy friends and many of them are just of that type of like, I just don't get sports and it just infuriates me like what do you mean you don't get it's okay if you don't really love sports or you don't play sports but uh what do you mean it's life man it's it's, it's all the lessons that we learn in life are you anyway. uh are you from north carolina originally? yeah 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 i'm from are eastern you, north carolina yeah are you uh, okay so are you a duke fan north carolina what are you what are you tar heels fan well i don't particularly want to talk about it today nick after uh after this weekend but yeah i'm a tar heel fan all right, all right. Why are we gonna have a breakdown right here at the at the end of the show? No, no, I um, I you don't have, have a dog family, in the fight. I have some family that went to Duke, and yeah. I grew up in a Duke household. So yeah, I, 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 yeah that's okay. <laughs> I don't hold it against you. Uh, old Shire's doing pretty good this year. Um, I as a Tar Heel fan, uh, and most of us are still are still uh, fueled by last season's uh victories over coach k but um you know the it's still always a good game like both of those games this year with the teams very much underperforming and carolina just tanking uh both games are really tight down there to the last last minute or two it's always fun fun to watch um but yeah here in north carolina i mean i live in durham and I lived in Chapel Hill for a long time. Uh, it, I mean, it's it's palpable. Like everyone in the whole area is like wearing whatever color blue they're wearing <laughs> that day. Like I was out of town actually at a uh, at a writing retreat. I was in Virginia, just in a log cabin in the mountains this weekend by myself. And my wife was like, she like texted me. She was like, is are the Tar Heels playing Duke today? Like we went to Target and like everybody had on <laughs> their colors. It's like like gang territory. Oh, that's funny. Well, the color blue that you have on today is kind of between both. So. Yeah, so right, right, right. <laughs> it's a neutral color. <laughs> exactly. Um, so what about uh, what about your own book? Have you, have, you, have you written a book yet? I have one that will come out sometime later this year. Okay. It's actually on the subject of reading. So it's all about how to retain and implement more from the books that you're reading. I'm all about taking action. I'm all about implementation and having read hundreds and hundreds of these books and attempting mm -hmm. to implement something from almost all of them. I have a bunch of different strategies that I've used at different stages throughout my journey that I wish everybody else had access to. And so the most common or maybe the second most common question that we get outside of hey, what's a good book for X, Y, and Z situation is something along the lines of, hey, Nick, I'm reading these books, but I'm having a tough time taking action on them. My life's yeah. not actually changing. And so I'm trying to close that gap between reading the book and implementing it. That's awesome, man. I, I like everyone, probably struggle with that too, of, or just even like retaining the things that you wanted to get from it. Like I I'm so kind of forward focused that I often, like if I read it last year, I'm like, I, I, I kind of remember it, but I don't really remember the takeaways and the best strategy that I had that is I'm not using it now. 
Um, but when I was really just trying to consume as much as possible, I was at a you know turning point in my life and trying to figure out what I was going to do next is I just had a little notebook off to the side and, and I would write away that write the takeaways from each book. And I was reading maybe about a book every week or two weeks at that point. I was really trying to ingest as much as possible. And at the end of each week, I would just revisit it. Oh, I also wrote down like podcast takeaways too. And so I would just revisit it and that though, then it stuck with me. Um, so having something like that really helped me just now, you know, you can do it on Google drive or whatever and just have those notes. And if you, you review it, I think it helps, but it's so easy to read it and just literally let it go in one ear and out the other, that it's hard to implement those things. Yeah. Like, what did James yeah. clear say in atomic habits? I know <laughs> I was inspired when I read it, but I don't know what to do today. Yeah. It's such an amazing book, by the way. It and, is. and I'd like, yeah, that's what this book is going to do. It's going to help close that gap because we spend a lot of time reading these books and if we don't leverage them to the best of our ability, then yeah, you're leaving something on the table. There's an opportunity cost to that. Yeah. And you don't want to look back on your life and regret not taking advantage of all of these amazing books. Like I have billions of dollars worth of information behind me and oh, really? uh, I want to be able to leverage as much of it as I can. Yeah. And back to our initial point, you've probably spent, hundreds of dollars, maybe low thousands on the, that billion dollars of information. So it's a good point. Uh, I'll give you a little tip uh, based on what we were just talking about, about kind of, um, you know, the, jotting down these little takeaways. Um, and one of our guests on the show, Matthew Dix is an expert storyteller and he has this process called uh, his books are story worthy. And someday is today. He's written a lot of fiction books, but those are his two uh, nonfiction. He's got a, uh, exercise called homework for life. Mm -hmm. And it's very simple. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but, uh, but it's very simple. You could take three minutes at the end of your day to do it. It's just two columns on a spreadsheet on the left side is the date. And on the right side is just the bullet point notes of a story that you experienced that day. So, and not necessarily like a journal or gratitude journal or anything like that, but literally like an event that happened, a, a thing that happened. And, the it's kind of like the spoonful of sugar for the medicine that goes down the spoonful of sugar. The selling point is that it get it helps you get better at spotting opportunities for stories mm. throughout your day. So that's how you sell it to a storytelling inter inter interested crowd. The homework for life, why it's called that is the real medicine that you're getting is it helps you retain all these these fleeting moments that you would have otherwise forgotten. For me, Nick, it could have been like a silly little thing my daughter did today, right? that undoubtedly in two or three days I will have forgotten about as we move on with life. But just, just jotting down the three little pieces of that story in that spreadsheet, I don't even have to look at it again, but it'll help me remember it. But if I do I'm, and look at this, the spreadsheet, you just see your whole year, your whole month, and just all these little stories that happen. Now, some of those you can take and extract and use for a purpose, whether it's in business or whatever. And some is just like, oh, damn, that was a beautiful day. So in terms of like pulling little takeaways from something, I wanted to like share that one with you. I think uh, anybody that I've shared it with has, has responded to it and it's highly impactful for, again, a very, very small investment. Oh, I love that. It, it reminds me of something that I've done that I think is original. So at the end of every week, I record a one minute gratitude time mm. capsule video. That's so beautiful. I pull out my phone, selfie mode. Hey, this, you know, I'm recording this on Sunday, March 5th. 
over the last week, X, Y, and Z happened. I'm so grateful for it because of X, Y, and Z. And then at the end of the year, in the future, because I've done this for a couple of years now, I'll be able to condense an entire year's worth of one-minute gratitude capsules into 52 minutes. And so in one hour, I can consume an entire year's worth of gratitude. And, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I can't believe that happened. Yeah. Oh, I remember how happy that made me. So similar type of vein right there. I think that's beautiful. And, and any exercise like that, I think is super valuable. And it's amazing how much you forget these like light bulb moments that you had just a month ago. And so going back, especially when it's a year. So going back and seeing like, how did I feel last May? Like, Oh my God, I had this like rev revelation that happened that week in May and I completely forgot it. So I think either way you approach it, that exercise in general, that concept is so, so beneficial and so valuable. Uh, and, I, and, and again, it's an easy thing to, to implement it's not requiring any extra skills or tools to, to do that. Uh, before we go, I'm interested in, in what nut nut you're trying to crack next. You built the business and the Instagram following. Now you've got this podcast that's doing very well, but you strike me as the type that is also forward focused and an ambitious young man. And you have other goals and dreams ahead of you. What are you focused on? We're still kind of in the beginning of 2023, though it is moving fast. What's next? Sure. So our biggest focus right now as a business is short form video production. We love mm. helping authors turn their books into video content so that they can sell more, generate more awareness. And if those books are a business card for some sort of higher ticket complimentary product or service, then that's our sweet spot. And so we're looking to film with as many authors as possible. We've got a couple different tiers based on volume and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's our focus. And I think it won't be this year, but next year we'll crack a seven figure business. And that's, nice. that's the focus. That's yeah. the main focus right now. So this year is a stepping stone in terms of revenue. Next year will be that, that milestone that we're looking to hit. Awesome, dude. Well, I have no doubt that you will. And and just just learning a little bit about your story today is incredibly inspiring. But I also love being able to go to uh, one place and get so many. I mean, that's kind of what I'm trying to do here. The storytelling lab, right, is have these experts on so that my listeners can glean wisdom from all of these people, not just my perspective on storytelling. And so I was immediately attracted to what you were uh, what you were doing over there. And then, of course, a lot of the same authors that I love uh you guys love so uh, i'm really stoked that we connected and i appreciate you being on the show yeah thank you so much it was a great experience awesome brother well, i'll talk to you soon my name is rain bennett thanks for listening if you enjoyed that episode do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast if you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it we love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show that's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show and if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show please please share it with them the more we grow the more we can help you grow and that's what we're here to do Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab. This podcast is a Six Second Stories production. Six Second Stories is a story coaching and consulting company that builds online education, in-person and virtual training, and digital products that help businesses master storytelling to find their ideal customers and market to them effectively. 
You can learn more at sixsecondstories.com and purchase the book Six Second Stories at Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, or rainbennett.com slash sixsecondstories. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 